This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to The Soul's Journey with Tom Jacobs. A fresh look at astrology shaped by channeled wisdom on the soul and its human journey. Enjoy inspirational insights on how to change karma and make changes for the better. And now, here's Tom. Hey, welcome to the show. This is A Soul's Journey. My name is Tom Jacobs, and uh, I'm on the web at tdjacobs.com, and I'm on the planet in Tucson, Arizona. Tonight's show is an uh, extension of last week's show. And I, I get in these grooves of wanting to tell you uh, about all these things and uh, stuff about spirituality and meditation and consciousness and energy work. And I wanted to tell you all these things about soul. And I realized that um, this is also a show about astrology. So I try to also insert these kinds of shows. So I'm not just doing these karmic profiles or these, you know, kind of big um, philosophical lecture kind of things. So, so I, I'm happy to do this show tonight. I got some great feedback from last week's show, the astrology's vacuum effect, and tonight is that part two. And what what last week was about, if you didn't catch it, was about how if we don't intentionally use an energy in our birth charts, which is an energy, an archetypal force within our own consciousnesses, then it still happens. And we actually create a vacuum effect. So if I don't use my Saturn, I'm gonna gonna draw in other people to do Saturn um, with for on me, and I might not be happy about it. And that's the same for all the planets. And so last week I kind of set it up saying if you have a Jupiter vacuum, if you have a Saturn vacuum, so so I encourage you to um to to hear that if you haven't, you can um, get that through the archive at tdjacobs.com um, on the radio show page. Um, and that's a great, that's a great setup. And then tonight I'm going to extend that a little and talk more deeply about the, um, I guess maybe the corners of the topic that I didn't get to last week. And they include retrograde status in the birth chart. They include being, I think I touched on the idea of a karmic story last week. You know, if something is involved in your karmic story and in a bunch of lives seems to present challenging uh, circumstances, you wouldn't want to do that energy because you wouldn't want to be the kind of person who makes life hard for you or others. I think I touched on it briefly last week. I'm going to go more deeply into that tonight and also a couple of other things things to look at. Um, some of this will include some stuff about the nodes of the moon because as I do astrology, I look at you as an energetic being, which is to say consciousness Who's having this physical experience and learning while you think that you are, you know, tied to time? Your body's tied to time. Your consciousness is not. And so when we look at why you might not want to do Mars in your in your life or Venus or why you might not own your Uranus energy or anything, a lot of the answers, even probably even more so than if a planet is retrograde in your birth chart, and I'll explain what that means to in a minute, almost more than that, you are going to, we're going to need to talk about the nodes of the moon because they represent the scenarios 
of karmic conditioning that our souls have us born into and raised by family and community and what we consider uh, starting like like home base and, and a bunch of lives. So anyway, so the nodes are integral to this. I think even almost as much as uh, as retrograde status, and I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain why. So just to give you a couple of announcements uh, to start off, I just decided a little bit ago, uh, inspired with uh, uh, Mars, Eros, and Sun in Gemini. Traveling together, Mars and Eros leading the sun, and there's an impulsive quality to that. So I decided that for the rest of the month, um, from the radio show page on my site, I'm offering four hours of tutoring at a 10% discount. So if you go there, you can you can do this. You can send people there too. Um, but just kind of like the deal for the Soul's Journey uh, live listeners and also podcast listeners for the rest of the month, 10% off four hours of tutoring. And this is the kind of depth that I go into you hear on, uh, on, on these shows. Like I said, this is intended to be kind of a middle ground so you can see how I think astrologically and how I piece things together. Because when you hear a karmic profile from me, you're not hearing – the, the stuff behind the thought process. You're kind of getting caught up a little bit as I kind of go deeply into what the soul's mission is. And that's really where my passion is, but I realize that I'm, I'm also really committed to teaching. So let's shake it up a little. Uh, the other announcement is that, um, yeah, so given this Mars, Eros, Sun in Gemini energy, Mars and Eros leading the sun, meaning that they are traveling a couple of degrees ahead, a few degrees ahead, there's a sense of sun is about rational awareness and the light of conscious awareness. Mars is about, you know, instinctive action. Eros is about creative passion. Uh, whatever lights your fires. And Mars and Eros together kind of double that effect. They have something in common about passion and, 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 and fiery feeling. They're leading the sun. So you may be impulsed or impelled to do something that you don't yet fully understand which would be represented by the sun shining light on it. I've been doing a couple of Facebook and blog posts about this stuff because I think it's, it's really important to be aware of that. Now, in that context, Mercury is retrograding in Gemini. So you may have the feeling that you need to do something. You may be lit up about doing something. And then you realize that um, you don't have the things organized correctly or the person doesn't call you back. Or you're not quite sure what date is. I had that today, like all week, you know, right after last week's show, I decided to, uh, to do this show part two and I've been promoting it and, uh, a little more, um, timely than usual. Usually I start the day before, you know, posting stuff about the show. And, and then, uh, today about five o'clock I said, um, Hey, I, I think it's Wednesday. And I realized that, yeah, this, this whole week has been coming now it's here. So kind of having this weird relationship with time, that's part of the Mercury retrograde and Gemini effect. Maybe all your ducks aren't lined up in a row. Maybe you're not quite sure about some details. And that's so you, so you have a sense of needing to act, being impelled to do something, maybe being lit up to do something. But then the Mercury retro is, uh, is, is perhaps slowing things down. And also Mercury retro the whole time is square Neptune and Pisces, which has that effect as well. So this that's just kind of an overview for for this uh, moment. And also right now, uh, Sun in the sky, which is what that Mars and Eros. Sun is quincunx Pluto. And so there's a sense of 
even if I am doing something, let's say that I maintain this notion of, of forward-looking progress, right? Let's say that I'm doing something. Let's say that I'm asking that question, Gemini Energy, or I'm making that new step, or I'm opening to ask new questions to, to get new answers. Uh, Pluto is from Capricorn, is retrograde, is quincunxing it. So there's something under the surface that we may not want to be aware of or have to deal with that may actually drive what is actually happening. So a similar effect there with the, the quincunx from, from Pluto and Capricorn to the Sun and Gemini right now, but also with that Neptune and Pisces square retro Mercury and Gemini. Here, I'm going to go do this thing, but there's something else happening. And because Mercury's retro, we may find ourselves really frustrated with how things uh, aren't working relative to how we expected them to work. But realize with this, these, these influences, the square and the quincunx from, uh, from Neptune and Pluto respectively – there's something else governing the rhythm, not just your conscious self. You can say that for all Mercury retrograde times, but it's kind of a, a little, uh, there's a little punch in there now for this. So, uh, moving on to this, uh, this show, this, uh, vacuum effect thing, I want to go deeper into, um, into this. I think that, uh, this isn't something that is always obvious, but then I'll explain it to you, and you'll say, "Well, yes, of course, a vacuum can thereby be created." You know, because you know we're we're all smart people, but the way we've looked at astrology, we may look at uh, well, a planet and a house and a sign works this way, and then you're going to sit there and say, "Well, maybe my I don't think mine works that way." You know, uh, with my Mars in the first, it's with Uranus and in Libra. Well, that that modifies things, right? So just a pure interpretation or pure expectation of what Mars in the first house may mean, you know, it needs to be modified for, for, you know, individual use, right, to actually get uh, information out of that. But you may say, I don't really relate to that. And and some of the factors – that contribute, as I mentioned earlier, retrograde status if the planet from the Earth's perspective when you were born appeared to be going backward and everything in the chart goes retro except sun and moon and the retrograde or direct status of the nodes of the moon I don't really pay attention to. I haven't found that to be useful. Um, in a kind of Gemini mindset, you might ask me about it, but I will say I have not found that useful. <laughs> I've not found that to be useful, uh, and I've been looking at this for 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 quite a, quite a long time because when I started immersing myself in astrology, I didn't resonate so much with what I was reading about retrograde planets, and so I've been really looking. At, uh, at how these work. There's actually an MP3 on my site in the recorded talks uh, section on the uh, on the store page uh, that's about retrograde planets in the birth chart that will really go in, in depth for each of those uh, archetypes, uh, really expanding on last week's show. But all different kinds of reasons why you may not do the energy. So I want to talk about the karmic story a little bit and then talk about retros. Um. The karmic story idea is that if Pluto, uh, if Pluto, if any planet, I was going to say a planet, if any planet is involved in your nodal axis, meaning aspecting, and I would say conjunction, square, opposition, one of the nodes, or, you know, obviously aspecting both of the nodes, either square the nodes or conjunct one of them, then there is a definite uh, context 
for that planet in your multi-life karmic journey. So for example, a planet conjunct your south node will mean that this energy in some way, right, and how sign and aspect matters, but this energy will saturate your many lifetimes. So you'll be born into a family system where this energy is loud. You will therefore be imprinted and conditioned by having it around you all the time. And then you will go out in the world, and because you're vibrating that you expect to find it, and because you carry it, you will find it out in the world. So the world seems to be, to some degree, in many ways about this energy. Well, when you have a planet conjunct the south node, you're full of the energy, but you might not express it. You might be born into a family where somebody or everybody else expresses it. Just because it's on your south node doesn't mean you own it. It means it saturates your life experience. It's really obvious when you look at a chart of somebody who has a sun conjunct the south node. This is the most obvious, and even to some degree with the south node and Leo or the fifth. I don't combine all those together, but this pattern does it does carry for, carry through all the way through the, the, the three things. Um, this archetype sun is about healthy ego and having an ego, having an opinion, having a position, sharing it, being seen. Well, the sun in the solar system is what everything else orbits. So when you have this energy very strong in your karmic history, meaning in your multi-life journey, meaning really um, imprinted upon your emotional body and how you vibrate, you may be around somebody who has ego, but you may not have it. You may orbit somebody else. So it's really obvious when somebody has a sun conjunct the south node, I mean, can almost you know, guarantee this person is not boisterous and loud and taking up space appropriately. But I can guarantee and I'll say, look, it's somebody in your family it's your it's a parent it's a grandparent it's maybe an idea of who your family is but there's something that's orbited that's loud maybe obnoxious maybe jovial maybe joyful but takes up all the space and everybody orbits around that person or that ideal and the people laugh like in readings people laugh because that is what exactly what it is so so you might see somebody with for example an aries sun that's conjunct the south node that person might not fully embrace being an aries because that person is born into a family system in which that's already there when they're born. So they might get out of the way. Meaning the south node can indicate the emotional, psychological, intellectual, spiritual climate and weather that's in play when you're born. And what it looks like to the helpless human baby, helpless and clueless, is that baby is born into this existing energetic emotional cloud. It's like you walk out your door, it's raining. Aha, yes, now I'm wet. You didn't, pl- you didn't even have any idea. You just kind of walked into this thing. It was already happening. Well, I mean, of course, with weather is a terrible example because, of course, people, modern people can look up what it's going to do. But anyway, um, the idea is that this tiny baby person <laughs> is born into this cloud. So does that person grow up and compete? Well, I get to have a son, you know, and there's a lot of tension and and there's probably competition for who gets to be the best or who gets to be right or worth attention with the son energy there. So anyway, that's a huge part of why somebody might not want to actively own what one archetype or another in the chart. 
with Venus. Maybe you're born into a family where everyone's an artist and you're like, how is there room for me to be an artist? You know, with a Saturn there, you're born into a family of people who know exactly what they always wanted to be when they grew up. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a, a, a caricature, but that's one possibility. People who have drive and ambition and like have these long-term plans. Um, and so you're like, well, you know, who am I next to that? I don't know. And because the energy saturates your emotional body as well as your karmic your, your karmic conditioning environments. It doesn't mean you own it. It doesn't mean you know how to use it well. It means you're saturated with it. So that's one idea. Uh, briefly, with the square to the nodes there, of any planet, there's this thing about, I don't know enough to be successful with this energy. I like to say there are four, well, maybe you know four or five out of the seven or eight key things to know about it. And... Uh, you have to go through a trial and error process of continually doing the same thing over and over again that doesn't work before you realize that you are the common denominator. With a planet conjunct, oh, so you might say, well, I, I've done this so many times with the square of the nodes, but it doesn't work. So why should I keep doing it? You know, and so that energy may be underexpressed. You know, conversely, it may be overexpressed because you're bound and determined to do this thing and you may feel you deserve to have success with it. So you might overwork as well. And then a conjunction to the North node, of course, is an opposition to the South node and the South node is karmic conditioning, home base, starting place, what's comfortable for you, habits, preferences, comfort zone, where you retreat when you're stressed and when you're challenged. A planet opposite the South node is a planet that is lacking it's missing or other people get to do it. So the other thing, what, what, the other way this can happen regarding the nodes is planet conjunct the North node. You don't know how to do it well. So you might either overcompensate in a way that you think it should be because nobody gave you a healthy model because the planet's opposite your family conditioning and your heritage. Um, or you may think, well, I guess other people get to do that. So I'm going to finish with that with that idea at the uh, after the first break. This is Tom Jacobs on the Soul's Journey, and I hope you'll stick with me. I'll be right back. getting grounded what about cleaning up and improving your relationships with your body money and others energy worker and channel tom jacobs infuses crystals with the supportive clarifying and empowering energies of archangel metatron and ascended master jehudi aka thoth saint germain and merlin Charged Tiger Iron powerfully engages your first, second, and third chakras, while Charged Red Jasper activates Chakra 2. Users report improved sleep, deepened meditation, increased trust of their bodies, intuition, and spirit guides, better boundaries, and heightened confidence to follow their passions. Included with each charged piece are channeled resources and ongoing support from Tom Jacobs. 
Get your charged crystal at tdjacobs.com. You've heard Tom Jacobs, the host of CTR's The Soul's Journey, share insightful perspectives on astrology and spirituality, providing useful tools to help you make life better. Each month, Tom saves his most in-depth analyses for subscribers to his monthly service. Subscribers to tdjacobs.com receive a user's manual for each month when the sun changes sign. The sun's time in that sign, ingresses, retrogrades, major aspect patterns, and new and full moons are covered in depth and help you make the most of the present moment. A channeled meditation and a monthly call to pick Tom's brain are included as are a number of perks, exclusive materials, and savings on his classes and products. Read more and sign up monthly or yearly at tdjacobs.com. Welcome back to The Soul's Journey. This is Tom from tdjacobs.com. Tonight's show is an extension of last week's uh, explanation, dialogue, discussion, uh, teaching about uh, astrology's vacuum effect. The idea that if you don't use an energy in your chart or your life consciously, uh, it will happen anyway and you may not like it. So talking about strategies to remedy that and to, to get in touch with how a planet really works within you and how it needs to. So finishing up the conjunction to the north node, you know, a planet's opposite you, you may come into life thinking other people get to do that, but I don't. Because in many lives, other people seem to. Uh, some examples, Neptune conjunct the north node. Uh, the people are a couple of years younger than I am, uh, born in the early 70s, uh, who have the south node in Gemini and north node in uh, Sagittarius conjunct Neptune. And uh, some of them are very intuitive, Neptune and Sagittarius. But some of them fight the intuitive thing because Neptune, surrender, other realms, multidimensionality, that kind of thing, uh, experiencing an energetic sensitivity and knowing what to do with that, like interacting with the world as an energetic being, not just a linear logical mind, Gemini South Node. Um, some, sometimes they struggle, they struggle with it. You know, Neptune's opposite their familiarity. And some, to some degree, Neptune's opposite the familiarity of most people, uh, but it's very literal for them. And um, the students and clients I've had who have this um, will resonate, like like when I get into a se- uh, in a session, even if it's a tutoring session, astrology tutoring, when I get into the state of bringing through guides or tapping into the vibration of the Ascended Master, they feel it. So they have to learn how to own the energy. It's real about them. Same with any planet on the North Node. It's real about you, but you haven't been taught how to use it. But recently I had an experience uh, with somebody with a couple planets on the North Node, one of them being Jupiter. And I've interacted with the person a few times over the years and wondered, like, what is this energy that, that it feels overconfident almost? And I realized the person has Jupiter conjunct the North Node, which means that a healthy sense of confidence hasn't been modeled for that person. So that person is actually, in a sense, overcompensating and, in effect, overdoing it but not realizing it. And so those are the kinds of two extremes. Other people get to do it or I'm going to do it no matter what. This is mine. This is my right. I deserve this. 
And those are the kinds of uh, two extremes that can that can happen with a conjunction to the North Node. Like if I say to you this whole vacuum effect thing, how we need to fix you know, how a planet works, we need to actively use a planet so we don't feel used by the world around us embodying or, or giving us that energy, bringing that to us, you know, filling in the vacuum. The other thing to realize is stepping back from planets we do too much is also really important. So that kind of leads me into the retrograde status conversation. Again, all planets but sun and moon, and I wouldn't pay attention to uh, to uh, the nodes of the moon being retrograde or direct. Uh, but anyway, all other planets go retrograde. The idea is that, um, and I meant to do this last week, ran out of time, and then and then Jack in Texas actually wrote me and said, I think that's a factor. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I just didn't get to it, but so we'll do it. So thank you, Jack, for, for making sure, keeping me honest on that, making sure that I get to it. Um, the retrograde status, from the Earth's perspective, the planet appears to be going backward when you were born. And they don't actually go backward, but the way the Earth's orbit lines up with theirs, this astrology is geocentric. So you know, the astrology that I speak is geocentric. So from Earth's perspective, it's about how it looks out there in the solar system and how things move. So periodically, certain things appear to move backward. Asteroids, centaurs, uh, trans-Neptunian objects, Plutoids, whatever, <laughs> you know, plus all these regular planets, all these things have this except, of course, sun and moon. So energetically speaking, this what what I was reading years ago that I that didn't fully resonate with me was this idea of this energy is directed inward. That seemed to be a catchphrase that was repeated many times in astrology texts. This energy is directed inward. Well, what I've learned is that you actually don't understand how to use the energy at first. It's not really directed inward. It just needs to work on a different rhythm according to a different rhythm and time scale than if it were direct. What I tell clients is you can't accept external models of how to do this planet. Whatever I tell you about how to do this planet, you, will, you may say, well, I'm willing to try it. And that sounds sane and coherent, Tom Jacobs, but you have to invent your own way of doing it. You have to take the... Um, take the models that are shown to you and, and specifically told to you and, and invent your own wheel, invent your own uh, recipe, wheel, pastiche, collage, whatever. I like mixing those things up <laughs> just to keep you, keep you on your toes. Uh, but you have to create your own way of doing it. And most people who have a retrograde planet are in a space of either refusing to do something because it makes no sense or that just doesn't work. Or doing what the other people seem to be doing who look normal. Let me look around and see what those the people who seem normal seem to be doing because they appear to be successful doing this thing. And so with Jupiter, it would be uh, belief. What's worth believing in? What's worth having faith in? Uh, with Neptune, what's worth surrendering to? How should I uh, experience myself multidimensionally? Right? With Mercury, it's what's worth learning? What's worth thinking? What's worth saying? And so you have this thing about what this this person 
may be doing what others seem to be successful doing, and then a few months, a few years, a few decades later saying, well, that doesn't work. Let me try this other thing. That's normal when you have a natal planet retrograde. It's normal not to know what to do with it. Because you live in a Saturnian Mercury culture where you're supposed to know exactly what is happening and what you're doing next, this is weird. <laughs> All the time I work with uh, with people in middle age and older who say, oh, I have no idea what this is and, and I don't have any reference point, you know, and I don't know because I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this about it, right? Venus retrograde, relationships, Mars retrograde, what I want to do when I grow up, you know, whatever it is. Jupiter retrograde, what's worth believing in. Uh, all those things, I've done them. And now I'm kind of burned out. And I say, then you're in the perfect position to decide what works best for you by taking bits from this and that and creating your own way of doing it. Essentially, it won't work. You know, external models won't work for you. They can't. And even, you know, as a counseling astrologer who's, so to speak, in some position of authority when I'm talking with somebody one-on-one, -on -one saying, person saying, what are my guides saying about my life? What do you see about my chart? What does the ascended master say about my soul's journey? Uh, what do you see in my energy field? What's going on with my chakras? Like, you know, being in a reader capacity, in a position of authority, I say to that person, do not listen to what I'm telling you. Or I'm going to tell you four examples. Pick and choose. Don't just do what I say. Because nothing I can think of will actually help you, will actually result in you creating your own way of doing it. So take everything I'm saying, take everything you've learned, sit down, think about how you'd like to do it. So that's the energy of, of having a planet retrograde. And think about along the, pro, along the way, if you triumphize a bunch of other people's ideas of how to do something, eventually that can lead to some burnout. So that's the idea with this. Now, the next level about burnout is that if the retrograde planet is involved in the karmic story – if it's uh, aspecting the nodes or the south node ruler by sign, as in the south node is in Libra, so the ruler is Venus, or the south node's in Capricorn, so the ruler is Saturn. If it's aspecting the nodes or the south node ruler, or it is the south node ruler, or it's involved with Pluto, or it is Pluto itself, realize that there is an a potential that the person is born with a degree of burnout already. I just I just did a soundbite the other day for somebody with uh, I think Pluto retrograde Pluto in the third house. Maybe it was a synastry reading or something, but but this idea of retrograde Pluto in the third house. This person needs to speak the truth, learn the truth, you know, organize his thoughts. But because Pluto represents the empowerment journey undertaken by these humans associated with his soul over many lives, the empowerment journey naturally involves feeling disempowered or powerless. Pluto in the third is actually a source of a potential source of burnout. So we should, we should assume that in some life he is saying precisely what he needs to say, but he's doing it too loudly or too much. <laughs> and so he may be a little more quiet in this life. We should also assume that, um, he may be saying something. This is a key here with, with karmic related, karmic story related retrograde planets. You may be doing something really well or prominently, perhaps even famously, but I mean, getting, being renowned for it, 
but it might not be your idea. That's the other idea. That's the other layer of this with the retros. If you overdo something that's not yours, you're going to be burned out. Think about somebody who is a mouthpiece for, uh, you know, a spokesperson, a mouthpiece for uh, somebody or something that he or she doesn't believe in. Well, I'm I'm paid to say these things. Yes, and what does it what does it feel like after decades of you energetically generating something and being well known for it that is not yours to say that has nothing to do with what matters to you? There's a level of burnout in there. So be aware again, planets retrograde that are aspecting the nodes or are the south node ruler or aspecting it or in cahoots with Pluto in the chart or is Pluto retrograde. This is something to to be aware of too. Moving on, the uh, point, you know, I have this note in here and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. That's not the whole story. But I wrote planets in the twelfth house or in Pisces or conjunct Neptune. And as you as you may know, if you're following the podcast, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, I I I do uh, intentionally spend energy talking about Neptune in as coherent a way as I possibly can. I do that because I'm I'm committed to uh, dashing against the rocks of truth and clarity, these phrases also that I read when I was immersing myself in astrology about how Neptune is hard to understand. All these things would be, we should assume, or, or you know, all these perspectives would be written from the linear logical mind's perspective. And of course, Mercury does not always understand Neptune. Gemini does not always understand Pisces. You know, these things are square. Actually, that's playing out right now, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, with Neptune and Pisces square Mercury retro in Gemini. And Mercury's time in Gemini is defined by this, by the way, until it passes the middle of the sign after its uh, retrograde period is over, just about when the shadow is, is over, uh, in a few weeks. Um, so, because Mercury passed in, you know, into the square to Neptune, and then Mercury stationed beyond it, in uh, Gemini, and then retroed back, made an exact square, and now is uh, pr- previous to it. I think it's about six degrees, and Neptune's about nine or ten. And uh, and then it's going to station, I guess, about three or four, and then it's going to go back. So this whole Mercury retro in Gemini thing is defined by, or is uh, couched within this square to Neptune. So so I, I think it's a useful thing to be to be really aware of, the idea that if you think Neptune's not understandable, it's because your linear logical mind is in charge. I am somebody who happens to have them conjunct in the natal chart, and I think that it's for my own um, – <laughs> I guess for my own uh, sense of being able to get stuff done and, and being able to find, if not uh, cling to clarity or, or the perception or the assumption that I have clarity, uh, <laughs> I've had to – try to mercury my neptune had to try to understand and articulate what it is so i wrote this note in here and it's not the whole story i mean it's not everything because for example conjunct pluto in the eighth house or in scorpio those things are kind of hidden maybe i'll cover both of those maybe that'll be how we do this but anyway this neptune archetype will make things like the three faces of the archetype the planet neptune the sign pisces and the house the 12th house will make energies 
work differently. So pointed in the 12th house, you may read in astrology texts, uh, can't be found or is hidden or will surely lead to woe and misery. <laughs> um, but the idea is that a planet in the 12th house needs to work according to a higher truth than your linear logical self can see or can describe. A planet working through Pisces needs to function in a way that surrenders boundaries or releases attachments. And a planet conjunct Neptune is Neptunified. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that after the second break. Stick with me. This is Tom Jacobs on The Soul's Journey. I'll be right back. getting grounded what about cleaning up and improving your relationships with your body money and others energy worker and channel tom jacobs infuses crystals with the supportive clarifying and empowering energies of archangel metatron and ascended master jehudi aka thoth saint germain and merlin Charged Tiger Iron powerfully engages your first, second, and third chakras, while Charged Red Jasper activates Chakra 2. Users report improved sleep, deepened meditation, increased trust of their bodies, intuition, and spirit guides, better boundaries, and heightened confidence to follow their passions. Included with each charged piece are channeled resources and ongoing support from Tom Jacobs. Get your charged crystal at tdjacobs.com. You've heard Tom Jacobs, the host of CTR's The Soul's Journey, share insightful perspectives on astrology and spirituality, providing useful tools to help you make life better. Each month, Tom saves his most in-depth analyses for subscribers to his monthly service. Subscribers to tdjacobs.com receive a user's manual for each month when the sun changes sign. The sun's time in that sign, ingresses, retrogrades, major aspect patterns, and new and full moons are covered in depth and help you make the most of the present moment. A channeled meditation and a monthly call to pick Tom's brain are included as are a number of perks, exclusive materials, and savings on his classes and products. Read more and sign up monthly or yearly at tdjacobs.com. Welcome back to The Soul's Journey. This is Tom from tdjacobs.com on the web there and on the planet in Tucson, Arizona. The show is about a little deepening into this idea of the uh, – or this uh, this uh, feature of life, which is astrology's vacuum effect. If you don't use an energy, then it then it, it uh, will rush in. You'll create a vacuum by not using it. So, so far I've explored um, if a planet is involved in the karmic story, how that may 
you know, be a, be an inspiration not to do it intentionally or not to own that energy and also a retrograde status. I want to let you know if you're just joining uh, the show or this is your first time hearing the show that um, you can, if you enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast in iTunes. You can also obviously subscribe in iTunes. And the archive of 131 shows at this point is available at tdjacobs.com. And also uh, for the rest of June 2015, uh, the rest of the month, I'm giving 10% off tutoring packages of four hours if you want to learn astrology with me. Learn astrology as a symbolic language of life, not tables of lifeless uh, sets of data and also um you can do you can study anything with me that i do and you can read about that at tdjacobs.com on the radio show page uh, i really i love teaching that's part of the reason why i do this show in the first place uh, and you can study with me study with me uh live or you know skype or on the phone no matter where you are in the world so continuing with this idea of a planet is in, involved with a Neptunian archetype, it wants to operate on a different frequency. So I, I always think of the example of Mars in the 12th house. I always think of that because Mars is Mars. It always is. But it is working in the arena of the 12th house. I forget the sign for a minute. It's working through the arena of the 12th house, which is this house of everything the totality, the masses, uh, our, our divine connection to altered states, all these different multidimensionality. That's where we experience multidimensionality. So a person with Mars in the 12th needs to act, but needs to act in the context of that multidimensional self. Let's talk about the 12th house in terms of if you do something with a kind of first house motivation, self or even any like first house through 11th house motivation, logical, like material manifest world. If you do something in the 12th house from that place, you may find that it seems like misery and woe are your destiny. That's where this comes from. This traditional astrological medieval thinking that says that a planet in the 12th house surely is a description of your undoing, <laughs> you know, your self undoing. It's because if you act from a, from a, a singular place, or how do you say this, like a non-multidimensional place, if you just act from the material world in the 12th house, you may trip over your shoes or you may find life saying that's not going to happen. So a planet in the 12th house needs to operate differently in a unique way. If you have a if you have a twelfth house placement, I almost guarantee you or or five, <laughs> I almost guarantee you that you have at some point wanted to throw your arms up in the air about that part of life and that planet. I certainly do, with Venus Pluto there. Everything that has to do with Venus and Pluto. You know, I I periodically come up against this this um internal wall of frustration because I perceive that there's an external brick wall everywhere. Well, now I'm just reminding myself as I tell you this, that there is a different orientation to my Pluto and Venus. They need to operate according to 12th house logic, which, not, which is not the logic of the rest of the chart, especially not our linear logical selves. So to have a planet in the 12th house, you need to align that part of your consciousness with something that is outside self 
or ego. Or better said, you need to use that planet in a way that recognizes that you as a being are not simply ego. I do not use ego as a four-letter word. I know it has three letters. Don't email me and tell me that. I know. But I don't use it as a bad word. But we all need to use ego, develop ego, strengthen ego, feed ego, love ego, and but, but, but not do anything with it if we don't align it with what's true for us. Align it with spirit. Align it with heart. So planet in the 12th house cannot operate according to normal egoic rules. That's the secret. And if you do, you'll find the rug being pulled out from under you. You'll find, uh, you know, you tripping over your shoelaces. You'll find this inexplicable thing that blocks you. That's where this comes from. So Mars in the 12th, Sun in the, you know, Mars in the 12th, the use of will, Sun in the 12th, development of healthy ego, speaking, you know, making sure I'm heard, taking up space, identifying as a person. It has to happen in that 12th house context. Venus there, Mercury there. I need to speak, but I need to speak aligned with truth. This is not to be all like, uh, you know, it's not to like get kind of um, either, I don't know how to say, like poetical or a, um, lofty or grandiose, like capital T truth. I do that all the time on the show. I do it with my classes and, you know, my clients and students. But that really is the secret of the 12th house. It, it doesn't mean you have to be some kind of, you know, a servant of a religion or a spiritual tradition, but like, uh, but you don't have to like be an acolyte or a whatever, you know, join an ashram. But the idea is that to use a planet in the 12th house means adapting that planet's energy to more than simply ego, extra ego, right? Anyway, so that's the idea with the 12th house. Uh, you know, in Pisces, a planet's trying to do something, but it needs to surrender to the right use, the right expression. So it's different than a planet in the 12th house. And then a planet, you know, in an interesting, uh, you know, conjunct Neptune, for example, that planet needs to surrender as well. And you can't talk to that planet without getting a multidimensional perspective. I even think about my Mercury. You can't, like, nobody can talk to my Mercury without getting a Neptunian response. <laughs> and in me, that tends to be... Um, more or less sensible, more or less cogent, because I've worked super hard to get grounded to be cogent. But I do have this experience with other people where, you know, you, you, you get very specific and you say something and then you get this huge answer in return because you're getting Neptune in response. You're trying to single out their Mercury and Neptune is inextricably linked. So a planet conjunct Neptune or an aspect of Neptune needs to work according to Neptunian rules. Again, identifying yourself as – or situating your ego beyond the confines of personality. Like you're more than just ego. You're not just personality. You're an energetic being. You're a divine being, all that kind of stuff. Now, switching gears into the idea of Pluto, 8th house, Scorpio, and also 4th house, Cancer, Moon. You know, let's do the Moon first and then do the Scorpio thing. Just talk about these water archetypes. With Moon, it's all through the lens of emotion. And Moon is, you know, I don't see your Moon unless you like me and, and relax around me, unless you invite me into your inner circle. I don't see your Moon right away. Um, similarly with, with, with Pluto, 
Scorpio, eighth house, I don't see that unless you trust me. Like moon, if you're comfortable with me, Pluto, if you trust me. And uh, so, so when you're talking about a planet you may not want to do, you know, actively, maybe it's in the fourth house. Maybe it's all in, maybe it's to some degree feels internal. Maybe it's a very private thing you don't share with other people or only with family, for example. Same thing, a planet in the eighth house or, or similar idea. Maybe you don't show that until you trust somebody. I just think about over the years doing work with people who have, for example, Mars and or Venus in the eighth house. With Mars, I always ask people to strengthen Mars as a yes, no, simple circuit. If you always or if you endeavor to always say yes, please, to what is wonderful for you, then Mars is active in a in a daily way that's that's uh, is very healthy regarding small things. So big things are easier to say yes to. Same thing with saying no to small things that really would frustrate you or bring problems. If you say no to all the little things, then saying no to big things, that muscle is exercised in your consciousness. Well, if it's in the eighth house, your yes-no function is hidden in the house of you can't see it unless I trust you. So sometimes people really need to say no with Mars in the eighth house but that door isn't always open. Same thing with Venus there. Same thing with any planet in the eighth house that way. So these three these three water archetypes, and including these water houses, can be these these grounds on which it's I, I don't walk up to you in public and tell you one of those things. Like I don't I don't walk up to people in public and tell them about my Venus Pluto. You know I don't you know. Uh, you know, people with planets in the fourth house don't uh, walk up to people and tell them about them. That's not that's not how it works. We're, you know, being energetic beings, we're emotional beings, and the water signs, of course, relate to emotion, emotionality. Water signs, water houses, water planets. So that's just another layer of how, you know, you're not doing it wrong if you're not using those planets actively. There's just a way to intentionally work with them. For example, planet in the eighth house. This is this is actually, I think I think it may end up being very useful. I'm I'm really listening as I'm about to say this. Uh, planet in the eighth house, also the fourth house. Um, this idea of trust and uh, safety, respectively, eighth house, fourth house, safety and security in the fourth trust and you know willing to be vulnerable in the eighth house when you realize with the point in the fourth house that nobody else can make you feel safe or unsafe and in the eighth house when you realize that nobody else can make you feel safe or unsafe or willing to be vulnerable or not it's all up to you anybody with a point in the fourth house is going to be able to report or I, I think almost a guarantee can report that um, I need to feel safe to do this. But the thing is, if you're gauging the external world on how it is making you feel safe or not, you may be cutting yourself off from expressing this planet. Similarly, with an eighth house thing about trust and vulnerability, if you decide that all your past experiences that have to do with not trusting 
or finding yourself, you know, I don't know, the eighth house drama, lied to, cheated, betrayed, whatever, all those things in the eighth house. If you find that you are using your present day self and, you know, because of what's happened to you in the past, and you have this list of historical, you know, uh, evidence that you bring out to say why you don't trust. Realize that you are hiding the eighth house planet. Now, if you decided that you were willing to be vulnerable and you were willing to let other people be who they are and either play with you or not, but if you were really strong in vulnerability, meaning you're actually feeling those slights, perhaps, you know, you're feeling those things in the eighth house that can go wrong. If you're willing to be there, then that eighth house planet can work magnificently. And again, the same thing with the point of the fourth house and the idea of safety. If you carry an internal orientation to safety, if you decide that you are safe because you know who you are, you know how you tick, you know what, 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 you know, fuels you on the inside, then other people can't make you feel safe. And you can carry that vulnerability and that fourth house planet has a place to be. We could do this all the way around the wheel, all the way around the uh, the zodiac and the archetypes, but those are some uh, those are some ideas uh, to help you help you work with that. Again, the karmic thing I think is you know involved in the karmic story: South Node, South Node ruler Pluto. Uh, that ends up being much more <laughs> I don't know much louder. Than the retrograde thing, because retrograde thing, if it's not involved in the karmic story, retrograde thing is like, well, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. But with a retrograde involved in the karmic story, you're like, you know, the sensation is, I I can't risk that anymore. I can't overinvest in whatever it is. So it's really a deeper thing when it's involved in the karmic story. So that takes us close to the end of the show. Thank you for for joining me. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's nice to hear from people who are listening around the world. I, I really enjoy being in touch with you guys. Thank you for that. Um, if you have any uh, show topics you would like to suggest, you're free to write me at tom at tdjacobs.com. No guarantees, uh, but we'll see. Um, and also re- remember that at the end of every month, I'm, I'm drawing a winner for a monthly drawing. Yes, drawing a winner for a monthly drawing, somebody wins. Yeah, uh, and it's a, a free reading on the air, so listeners get a sense of what a reading is like with me and how we can go into depth and how we can answer just about any question about life. So write me an email at tom at tdjacobs.com with a subject line TSJ monthly drawing, and around the middle of the month, I will pick a winner, and around the end of the month, you'll be on the show. And if you're not uh, in a position to be on the show live, like your work schedule or you're on a different part of the planet, we will pre-record at a mutually convenient time. So if you're listening to this somewhere else in the world and know you can't make this time, write me anyway. So you can check out what I'm up to at tdjacobs.com, 15 books, uh, eight different crystals programmed, energetically programmed crystals that are now available, and of course the tutoring deal for the rest of June. Thanks for joining me, and I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Soul's Journey with Tom Jacobs, a fresh look at astrology and soul inspired by channeled wisdom. 
For more information, tune in every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Connect with Tom directly via www.tdjacobs.com. That's tdjacobs.com. 